if you have ever taught ninth grade English or middle school English, you would know that the go-to beginning for every single essay, every single sermon, is a, every single speech is a, is a simple question like, have you ever been to Antarctica? Well, let me tell you. And then they start their essay. And I, and I realized after I wrote this sermon, I have a really stupid question that I ask also right at the beginning. So I'm going to ask the question, have you ever felt so convinced, so certain that you were going to die? A time in your life where you're like, oh, here it is. This is the end. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you a story about when that happened to me. So in 2011, I was 20-something, and I said, I don't know what to do as a 20-something, and I got, I lost my job. And so I said, well, as a 20-something with nothing else to do, I'm going to move across the world to Southeast Asia, and I'm going to just go travel, go teach at a school, and have some fun. And so I moved to Indonesia, and after just five weeks, I got to go on vacation. And I knew nothing about the country. I knew, like, one word, and it was no, and they, they would understand no. And I didn't really understand anything about the culture apart from what I had seen in movies, which isn't the most trustworthy thing of all time. So I decided I'm going to go with my friend Jake to the island of Lombok. And that's going to be the slide up here next. And Lombok is an island just out, out in the Pacific, and um, it's in between Indonesia and um, Australia. And so Jake and I went there, and we stayed with a missionary. And the missionary's name is Rich. And I believe the next picture is of Rich. And Rich is a missionary on the island of Lombok, which is the second most conservative Islamic island city in Indonesia. And that's a hard mission field. He can't say, yes, I'm a missionary. Instead, what he does is he works at a homestay and trains these men on how to work in the hospitality industry. And while he's doing that, he's hoping to insert a little of the gospel into, his, into their lives, which is so cool. But that's a hard mission field. And so what I quickly learned was working for 20 years in a hard mission field does something to your personality. How can I say it? I can't say it nicely. Rich is the most negative person I've met in my life. Like, of all time. It turned into a running joke with us. For example, I, I would say, hey, Rich, I'm going scuba diving tomorrow. I'm going to get scuba certified. And Rich would go, uh, well, your tank's probably going to explode and you can die. <laughs> but if you live, there's stingrays where you're going. They're going to they're kill you. Or, or what's, what's another one that I did? Um, oh, Rich, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent a motor scooter and just go drive around the island. And he's like, that's a terrible idea. If the cops see that you're white, they're going to pull you over. If the locals see that you're white, they're going to run at you and try to pull you off your scooter. But if you get in a wreck and they see that you're Western, you will get robbed. They will, you are wrong under every circumstance, and you basically can't win and just hope that they don't attack you. Wow, thanks. Thanks for the encouragement, Rich. But Rich did tell me one positive thing. He told me about a fantastic restaurant to go to. I know, surprise, Patrick found a good place to eat. I know, surprise. So on my last day in the island, um, my friend Jake and I, we went to a seafood place. And Rich told us how to get there. We drove our scooters out there. And we just went, took one road to the west, took run one road to the north. And Rich just said, hey, guys, be back before dark because there's some stuff going on tonight. It's, it's kind of a special holiday. So just make sure you're back and, and enjoy yourselves, but be safe. And I'm thinking... Rich, that's the most positive thing you've ever said to me. So uh, let's go to the next picture. I think I, yeah, here, here's the restaurant. It's awesome. I ended up um, eating there a bunch. Go to the next picture. 
that's some of the, I think that's um, squid that I ate. And calling this place a restaurant is being unfair. What it really is is a big shack with a barbecue grill, and then they serve you your food while you're sitting on the beach. It was awesome, and then people were wondering why there were two 20-something-year-old guys sitting there eating by themselves. It was so romantic, but I didn't really want to share it with Jake. <laughs> Actually, at that time, wow, I didn't think about sharing this, but at that time, oh, you're, yeah, you're here. At that time, that's when I first started texting Grace to see if we could start dating. <laughs> at that restaurant, awkward. I didn't check in about talking about her, so I'm sorry, sorry. But so anyway, go, go to the next slide. This is an awesome picture. I hope it shows up there. Yeah, you can kind of see it. So this is my view from dinner. And there's a volcano over there. That's the island of Bali. And then the sun setting over there. And I took that picture, but then I remembered something that Rich said. Rich said, hey, Patrick, be back before dark. So I took the picture said, Jake, we got to get out of here. And then we got on our motor scooters and we went down. Remember, took one road south. Then this time we took one road to the east and we got home. I got a map of that. Let's go to the next slide. This is supposed to be our route. And as you can see, the, the restaurant was at the top. We took the one road south the entire way. And then where I put that star was where things got interesting. You see, it was indeed a very special night. In fact, it wasn't just a special night. It was the biggest, most important holiday on the Muslim calendar. And what does that mean? It means they close every single city street. So where that star is, is where the entire city got shut down. Jake and I don't speak the language. We don't know where we're going. My phone, my phone's, and this was just five years ago. The GPS wasn't that great yet. Jake and I had no idea how to get home if the route was anything other than this. So I went on Google Maps to try to show you guys the route that I ended up taking, and I maxed out how many changes you can make to a route in Google Maps. Uh, Colin, let's go ahead and show. Th th this, is, this is essentially what my route turned into. Um, and, and I'm not lying. This is probably one quarter of the amount of turns that we made because um, it, it, it was crazy. How crazy was it? Well, on this day, which is called Eid al-Fitri, um, all of the Islamic people on the island, which is basically every single person, they put on special clothes and they start chanting through the streets. They start praying. They um, start shooting off fireworks, which if I've only watched the movies and think about the Middle East, which practices the same religion, I'm not thinking these are fireworks. I'm starting to get scared. People are running through the streets, banging drums nonstop. They've got, they've got huge floats of their mosque that they're just marching around town. Go to the next slide. Um, this is what the traffic looked like. This is where I used to live. I've been in a situation like that, but here's the difference. When Jake and I turned off and just started following people, we weren't going through wide streets like this. We were going through, uh, through, through alleys about this wide on a motor scooter in a place where we don't know where we're going. We don't speak the language. Everybody is partying. We're scared. And oh yeah, I didn't take Rich's only piece of advice, which was don't go out after dark. I... This is funny looking back, and I'm glad I can share this story, but at this moment, I was starting to get a little bit scared. Jake and I had no idea what to do, so we just start following all of the other scooter drivers. We don't know where they're going. We just think, well, we can't go that way. We can't go that way. We came from that way. The ocean's that way, so let's drive through that person's backyard because that, that was the only option, and I'm getting to this point where all I'm thinking is I just want to go home. I am so scared, so... I get to this point where I'm thinking, I don't belong here. I need to go home. And I'm driving through an alley, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe all of this is just 
something I'm making up in my head. And so I'm thinking, Jake, he's in front of me. This guy's not scared. He's got a six-pack. He's in really good shape. We're, we're, we're safe. And so I say, I motion to Jake, hey, Jake, let's pull over. We pull over into this dark little corner. And Jake takes off his helmet. And all I see in his eyes is fear. Jake is more scared than I am. And I say, Jake, I just want to go home. And Jake says, me too. We are so scared. And so I say, Jake, you know, we're in a little corner here. What if we just sit here, pull our sleeves up so people don't know that we're Western and uh, keep our helmets on and nobody's going to mess with us? And Jake says, I've heard this party's going to last till five in the morning. And fireworks are going off, smoke's everywhere, the banging drums, the, the call to prayer is everywhere. And we have no idea what to do. So we look over and, and there, there's this guy, about 20 years old, sitting on the grass. And he's smoking a cigarette and he's out with his girlfriend, which means right, right from that, he might not be totally into the Muslim parade. And so we go up there and we mention two words, the only two words that we know. That's the name of the mall that Rich lives next to. It's the Madaram Mall. So I know I've mispronounced that. Grace, can you say Madaram? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, very, I'm, I'm dead. Okay, so I say, can you get us to this mall? And we, we just say, like, we don't know where we're going. Can you get us to the mall? And the guy's like, okay. Okay, and so he gets on his motor scooter with his girlfriend. And we start following him. And then I realize we have no idea where this guy's taking us. He could be taking us to the mall. He could be taking us somewhere where we do not want to go. And then I start remembering that Rich, his nickname for this island is the Island of Mecca. He says, don't go to the eastern part of the island because they practice Sharia law there and they'll chop your head off. This is Rich, remember, most negative guy ever. So at this point, I am so scared. Jake's in front of me, the boyfriend and girlfriend are in front of him, and I'm just thinking all I want to do is go home. And that's when things got worse. We're driving through an alley, house on one side, rice fields on the other. You think, oh, this is so romantic. No, because I ran into a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah. And remember what Rich said. If you get in a wreck, you are wrong. They see that you're not from Indonesia. You are wrong. You'll be lucky if they don't attack you. And I'm thinking, God, this is it. I'm done. Just please don't let it be too painful. I'm thinking, this is the it. God, I just want to go home. And instead, I hit a 10-year-old boy. So what did I do? I think I have one option at this point, and that's to pretend like I didn't hit a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> so I just keep going. And I didn't knock him over. I didn't, he's not like bleeding on the ground. I just like, I, I hit him, and I, he very obviously looked at me, but I, I just kept on going because Rich said, if I get in a wreck, everybody is going to go after me. So eventually, we're following the boyfriend, we're following the girlfriend, and I don't know where we are, but we are not in the right spot. So I say, Jake, let's pull over. So Jake and I pull over again. We're thinking, we have to go home. What are we going to do? And then the boyfriend shows up again, and he says, why aren't you following me? Now, I think that's what his two arms in the air meant, because he didn't speak a word of English, but he's like, mall. And so we're like, fine, you know, we've got no other option. We're going to follow this guy and hope that he takes us home. So we follow him for over an hour. And then eventually I see it down the street. It's the mall. I know from the mall, Rich's house is one minute that way. Jake and I, we wave to the guy. We pull over into the alley, get in the garage, rip our helmets off, wipe the tears off of, wipe the sweat off of our forehead. And Jake and I hug like I have never hugged another guy or girl. We were home. 
and I have never forgotten that night. Today, we're talking about that. We're talking about going home. That's what salvation is all about, right? We're here on earth, and we just want to go home, and we need to get saved so that we can go home. That's salvation, right? I'm not so sure. We're in the third week of a series called The Core, and we're going in-depth on the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. We, we began by talking about that God is the creator God. Then after that, that he's three in one. And last week, we talked about that that God that created everything wants a relationship with us. So the question that we're asking this week is, how do I have a relationship with God? And so this is going to be up on the next slide. I'll say it once, and I want us to read it together. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. All right, let's read that all together. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ, Jesus Christ. I messed that up, not you guys. I think that this is true. I'm really glad because Jason told me to preach about it. But I would be willing to bet that everyone in this room, we're not going to agree on everything. I think we'll all agree on this statement. Also, I think that if we got somebody from every church in Albuquerque, they would also agree with this statement. Now, we, we disagree on a lot, but I think we'll agree on this statement. So just play along with me. I, wrote, I made this little scenario. Imagine that we did just that. We went around and got one representative from every Christian church in Albuquerque. You know what? The Catholics, they can come too. Why not? I like this statement. And we say we want one representative to come into the pit, and we're going to have a little time of talking. So every church has one representative in the pit, and I'm right there on, at half court, and I have a microphone, and I, and I say what we just read together. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And so I'm, I'm looking all throughout the pit. Every church in Albuquerque is represented here. And I say, if you agree with this statement, go ahead and raise your hand. I really think every single person would agree with that statement. There's nothing controversial. That is very biblical. It is backed up. I would say if we're not getting 100%, we're getting 99.9% .9 because somebody had fallen asleep. So we would be unified in that, and we would say, yes, Christians, we are unified. And then because I like messing things up, I would say, so how do you do it? And that's when things get interesting. Because you see, at the pit, we've got some Church of the Christ over there, and they say, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And all of us here, we're like, yes. And then another person goes, wait, you can't do that. Baptism, that's a work. That's something you have to do. In Romans 4, it says, if we just have faith, just have faith, we'll be saved. We don't have to do anything. But then somebody else jumps in and says, no, in Romans 10, it says you have to have faith and declare it with your mouth. So there is something you have to do. And then the person opens their Bibles. You know, they're from a church a little bit down the street. And they say, well, you know what James says? James, you know, the brother of Jesus, he says that even the demons know that Jesus is Lord, and they shudder when they know that. So there is something you have to do. So a guy stands up and goes, I know what you have to do. I'm from the church over on Osuna. What you have to do is pray Jesus into your heart. And then somebody says, well, where's that in the Bible? And everyone's like, I, I don't know. So then some people say, all right, John 3, 16, we need to be born again. When you're born again, then you become saved. And another guy says, no, in Mark 10, Jesus says you have to follow all of the Ten Commandments and then give what you have left to the poor. 
that's how you inherit eternal life. But then some people come and like, oh, you want to talk about the Gospels? Well, let me talk about Acts. In Acts, they say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then another guy, he comes in and he says, in Acts 16, it says, if you just believed that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So everybody's arguing at this point. And then while we're arguing, here come the Presbyterians. And the Presbyterians say, hey, I don't know which one of you is saved, but God chose you to be saved. He chose you to go to hell. So it doesn't even matter what you're arguing about. You're chosen, you're not. You're chosen, you're not. You're chosen, you're not. And then here come the Charismatics. And you know what the Charismatics say? They say, I don't know. I don't know, but if you can speak in tongues, I think you're saved. Everyone's like, what? (laughs) Are you serious? And then a Campus Crusade guy goes, no, I got it, I got it. I've got this pamphlet right here. If you'll read these five bullet points, you're saved. Then I can get out of here because that's all I got to do. The rest is up to God and you, so I'm leaving. And then, and then a guy comes in from the street. He wasn't invited, but he comes in from the street. He's dirty. He probably has a police, a criminal record, and he says, hey, guys, the thief crucified next to Jesus. What did he do to get saved? Jesus says he went to paradise. What did he do? And at this point, everybody's like, well, I don't know. And then the last guy into the pit, he can't even get onto the floor, so we have to bring the mic up to him. He's in a wheelchair. And he says, hey, in Matthew 9, a paralyzed man was forgiven of his sins by doing absolutely nothing. His friends lowered him onto the floor. Virtually every Christian would agree that salvation comes through faith in Christ Jesus, and that is a gift given from God. And for thousands of years, we've been arguing, we've been splitting churches. In some cases, we've been physically fighting over how we show that faith. But if that's what we do, we're missing something. Because we've been so focused on the how when it comes to salvation that we're missing the why. How we're saved? It's really simple. We just, I just read a list of a whole bunch of things. If you repent, you're baptized, you follow Jesus, you're saved. But why? That's so much more interesting. If we turn the gospel into directions for going home, you're missing about 99% of the Bible. I'm sorry, that's kind of uncomfortable, but we're missing it. You'd never pick up the Bible and read it from cover to cover and think, oh man, I just finished Revelation. I need to pray a prayer now. That's not what you're going to do. And and though this is going to make some of us squirm in our seats, the point, the overarching point of the Bible is not, okay, go get baptized now. That's not the point of the Bible. I don't know where the idea of praying Jesus into your heart came from, but that wasn't in the Bible either. No one reads the whole Bible and concludes that the Christian life is about avoiding hell. I'm sorry, but it's not. You see, when I was on Lombok, when I was caught in all of this traffic at night with fireworks and drums and the call to prayer, I was so focused on going home that I ignored the whole reason that I moved to Asia. I moved there for an awesome cultural experience. I moved there to meet people that I'd never met before. And what was I doing? I was so focused on getting to my end destination that I ignored everything else on the island. When we're focused on going home, whatever that even means, we miss God's point for our lives. God's plan, and I'm really glad we didn't sing the song today, Clint, because I would have felt really bad. The point of Christianity is not that God wants people sitting around in a circle singing, when I die, hallelujah, by and by. That's a massive waste. 
here's how big of a waste it would be. Uh, the island next to Lombok was where Grace and I got married. I think I've got some pictures of that. Yeah, look, I used to be so skinny. That's what typhoid fever can do for you. <laughs> Three times, not kidding. Um, but at least it happened before my wedding, right? I mean, the photos turned out great. Grace and I got married on the island of Bali. We rented out a huge house. Our family moved in, and we got married in the backyard. It was awesome. We got married on um, December 31st, so we got free fireworks. We walked up to the beach. We look at the whole coastline of Bali, and every hotel on the island is shooting off fireworks. It was gorgeous, and I didn't have to pay a thing. So Grace and I, we go up into our room. We go to sleep, and I wake up the next day. Imagine if I said this. I roll over. Hey, good morning, wife. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I got married to you. I said my vows. I gave you a ring and we kissed. We are now married. So now we just wait around until we die, right? No, no, not at all. Did I do that? Don't answer that. Okay, I didn't do that. But that's what we do with the Christian faith. We, we, we experience Jesus and we say Jesus is real I'm going to make him my Lord. I'm going to follow him. Then we do something to show that faith, and then we think, all right, next stop, the afterlife. That's not at all why Jesus came. You know what Jesus talked about? Jesus talked about eternal life. Jesus talked about a road to real life. And that was two times. You know what he talked about the most time? The songs that we sang today about the kingdom. Jesus preached about the kingdom. Here's, here's my favorite thing. I said, I'm saying this. We are saved. We are not saved so that we can go home. We are saved so that we can be part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing. Now, before I make everybody leave and hate me and lose my job, let me backtrack for one second. Should we repent and be baptized? Absolutely. Should we call on the name of the Lord? Of course. Should we declare with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the master? Absolutely. If you want to read Campus Crusades tract and pray that, that's even better. If you want to pray Jesus into your heart, I don't know what that is, but do it too, because all of these are great things. But that, that's not what I'm concerned with. I'm not concerned with the how. I'm concerned with the why. And it makes me sad because we've been dividing ourselves over this for essentially 17, 18, 1900 years. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote a letter to say to people, you do not need to be divided anymore because of salvation. And instead, we let the how of salvation divide us. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is so great. We studied this in, in Sunday school today, and, and the youth group just nailed it. And I lost my point. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to look at the whole chapter today. As for you, you were dead. And he's talking to the non-Jews here. As you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace 
expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? Paul does not say salvation is about heaven or hell. Paul is saying that when Jesus was raised up, we receive salvation in order for God to show his grace and his kindness. Why are we saved? For grace and kindness. But Paul goes even further in the next three verses. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which the gospel prepared in advance for us to do. Why are we saved? Because God has prepared good things for us to do. And when we are saved, we say, God, I want to join you in that mission. We're saved by faith, absolutely. And we are given that salvation from God's grace. And when we show grace to the rest of the world, that is why God saved us. Because God says, I want to show grace through my church. We are saved to join God's mission to love the world. And that is so much bigger than floating off to heaven. Because that's not what Jesus preached. That's what Plato preached. And Paul continues. Paul paints a picture of a house, a building, a, a massive structure that is so big. And he's going to say, when you are saved, you are part of something so much bigger than yourself. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at verse 19 now. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. Why are we saved? We are saved so that we create a community where God dwells. That's huge. Ephesians 2, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible about salvation, doesn't mention heaven, doesn't mention hell. When I went on Facebook and said, hey friends, post your favorite verses about salvation. This verse got mentioned more than any other verse and it never mentions the afterlife. It doesn't talk about how we get saved because that is so basic. Paul is concerned with one question. Why are we saved? And here's what he comes up with. To do good works, to have access to the Father, to be a holy temple to the Lord, and to form a church that becomes the dwelling place of God. So here's my main point for today. We are, sa we are not saved so that we can go home. We are saved so that God can make his home in us. That is totally different than what I've ever preached before. And right now, I've taught a class, and I'm um, preaching a sermon, and I know that half of you are probably on Facebook anyway. So go to the next slide. Let's go ahead and make this our status. I'm going to drink some tea. I, if you are on your phone right now, go ahead and make this status. We are, not, we are not saved so that we can go home. We are saved so that God can make his home in us. Think about that, or tweet it, or Facebook it. I'm going to drink my tea for a second. Seriously, put it on Facebook. Unless you think that it's totally wrong, then put it with my name at the end. Then, then you don't really believe it, right? I hope somebody does it. Otherwise, this is just a really awkward illustration. Um, okay. Now, this is not what I have heard preached from the pulpit every day of my life. This is not what I have believed 
my entire life. And so I don't want to say, you guys are all wrong. I've been guilty of turning the Christian faith into heaven and hell my whole life too. But when we make the Christian faith just about salvation, we're actually underselling everything in the Bible. We shortcut the good news. What did Jesus say about going to heaven when we die? Actually, not really anything. He talked about the kingdom. That's how he began. That's how he ended. Matthew 4, right when Jesus begins his ministry, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Matthew says, from that time on, Jesus preached about the kingdom. Um, he didn't say, repent, so that you can float off and go to heaven. He never went there, because he was talking about the kingdom. Matthew four twenty three, a few verses later, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus never preaches the gospel of escaping this world and going to heaven. Instead, he says, repent for the kingdom, heaven is here. And that's the message that we need to share with our friends. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is God, and we can be a part of what he's doing in the kingdom. When we preach the floating to heaven gospel, when we preach the, that the Bible comes down to only salvation, we're actually backing ourselves into a huge corner, and here's why. According to Gary Foster, two-thirds of American adults believe that there is no such thing as good and evil. Hannah, she was talking about this with me today. She has a friend who says that there is no God, and that, but that God is evil. There's no God, but that God is evil. Um, I don't know why her friend said that, but that makes no sense. But what people believe today is that any truth is relative. So there's no good, there's no bad. So for example, um, let's see, is stealing good or bad? What people believe, thank you. Hey, I'm done, see you later. That's good. <laughs> I love that. Wait till I get to murder. Please, please, please do that again. So adults believe today that your good and evil is determined not by a God, not even by morals, but by your circumstance. So is it good or bad to steal? Okay, but what, they, what, what most people in America, we are in the minority here. What most people believe is that your circumstances would determine if it's good or bad to steal. For example, who's the victim? If I steal from a rich person, that's different than if I steal from a poor person. If I steal from a company, that's not as bad. If I steal from Comcast, that's not even as bad as that. So I can cheat on that. I would never steal from, from Jason, but I would steal from a company. So more morality, good and bad, is defined by our circumstances. Is it good or bad to cheat on my spouse? Well, some people would say it depends on how they treat me, or it depends on how faithful they've been to me. Christians would say cheating is bad no matter what because God gave us that standard. Circumstances define good and bad. Is murder okay? Well, it depends on if you're talking about a child, an adult, or a fetus. Your circumstances are defining good and bad. So when we say, hey, world, you need to be saved, the world says, saved from what? There's no good or bad, and they don't know what we're talking about. When we say salvation, we might as well be speaking in a foreign language. And that's why Jesus went a different route. Jesus' gospel, Jesus' good news, it was about himself. It was about the kingdom. Instead of being known for preaching our definition of salvation, we need to be, pre be preaching the truth, the undeniable truth about Jesus. 
we need to be pointing to the transformation in our lives that skeptics, they can't deny. They can say, I don't know what caused that change. I don't want to say it's God, but I see the change in your life. We need to point to the grace that the church can show. For no reason, we show grace to people who don't deserve it because Jesus showed grace to us. That's the gospel that you can't deny. And if everything else, we need to point to the fact that we follow a guy who got killed and somehow, after he got killed, his spiritual movement grew faster than any in history. Again, undeniable fact. The biggest skeptics in the world can't deny that fact. So whether they don't want to hear about salvation, we can say, fine, you don't want to hear about that? Let me tell you about Jesus. Yesterday, Jason read some scripture for all the shepherds, and it was so good I had to incorporate it in here. It was so good. So Jason, that's why I'm going long here, is it's your fault. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, it says this, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive, so the saved ones of God, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And here's the key. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. We are saved so that we can reveal the life of Jesus. I went back to Lombok the next year, and I did something really weird. I made sure that I went back on the same holiday because I wanted to be back. That was the point for why I traveled to Asia for three years. But I did something even crazier. I called a few friends, and I said, hey, guys, there is this parade you've got to see. And we went, and you know what? We went out in the streets. We knew what we were doing, but we also knew why we were there. Why were we there? To make friends, to shoot off fireworks, to eat some really good food, which made us all sick the next day. One of the coolest things I got to do was um, talk to some of the really, really poor people who came to watch the parade but couldn't shoot off any fireworks. So me and my friends, we dropped $100, and we bought fireworks for all of the poor people. We got to have the experience that we always wanted. When I stopped being focused on going home, I fulfilled my purpose of moving across the world. And the same thing happens with our faith. That's what Jesus offers. When we stop getting focused on heaven and hell, we realize the purpose for our lives. We are saved so that we can be a part of the kingdom, so that our church can be his house, we are saved so that we can join God's mission. We aren't saved so we can go home. We are saved so God's home becomes in us. And when we do that, we are saved so that we can, with our lives, point to Jesus. At the end of every sermon, we have a time of prayer, but what it used to be was, was an altar call. And an altar call was how preachers determine if they preached a good sermon or not. And it was hope that I gave you enough guilt and I revoked enough emotions that you want to come down here and be baptized. And we thought that that's the goal. That's not the goal, but it's pretty awesome. And so if you have been thinking for a while that you want to start that journey with Jesus, this is a great time to come forward and to talk with some of the shepherds. You can talk to Jason. You can talk to me. And 
this, I don't want anybody to think that, that I don't want you to be baptized or for you to publicly show your faith in Christ. Instead, I want you to do that and then see that as the very first day of a brand new life, where with that life, in everything we do, we point to Jesus. Let's stand up. God, I thank you for Jesus in that he preached the truth. He preached the, the truth about who he was, why he was here, and what he was doing. God, I pray for forgiveness for making the gospel about something so minute in the Bible. I pray that we can be kingdom people, mission-focused people, and most of all, people who point our lives towards Jesus. God, we pray this in your name. Amen.